Good morning, everyone. Since it is week 503 of the coronavirus pandemic, all of us are in need of some good news. So this week, we are introducing the first installment of the Redeemer Report. What is the Redeemer Report, you ask? Well, yes, it is a shameless copy of John Krasinski's Some Good News, but it is also our own and will include inspiration from SNL's Weekend Update and from Jimmy Fallon, my group. We hope that you enjoy it. First things first, we are very happy to celebrate with the Buford family because Kelly Buford's brother, Paul, pictured there with the buzz cut next to her, contracted coronavirus a few weeks ago, but is now recovering very well. We are also very pleased to share that Drew Bright Moore, who is a graduating senior part of our church family, was recently adopted as a part of the Pearland Adopt a Senior initiative. What makes Drew's story especially wonderful is that Drew was actually adopted by his former kindergarten teacher, Miss Dawson. Wow. Miss Dawson sends words of encouragement and support and also wonders, Drew, if you're going to wear that awesome macaroni necklace as you start your first semester in engineering at Texas A&M. We are also pleased to announce that the food drive for the well that our church did was a smashing success. We brought so many canned goods and imperishable items that we were able to take full minivan of those things over to the well and, and help out some families in need. We will continue to collect donations, except nobody is interested in Pastor David's shoestring beats. <laughs> also, in a very odd turn of events since COVID, the meaning of the phrase drive-by has dramatically changed. If you have not yet gotten to participate in a drive-by birthday celebration, a drive-by anniversary, or a drive-by teacher parade, we highly recommend it. For other quarantine skills, I'd like to turn it over now to Mary Lee. Thank you, David. In this segment, we're gonna dig deep for the silver linings of being stuck at home with little entertainment. We asked you guys to send in hashtag skills I learned and you did not disappoint, Redeemer. We had creative skills like hashtag rock painting and hashtag birdhouse art. There were some money saving skills like hashtag pineapple carving, hashtag smoking meat, hashtag pickling watermelon rinds, uh -huh. and hashtag taking a laptop apart. Some learn new skills for work, like hashtag Spanish, or should it be hashtag Espanol, and hashtag Zooming, and of course, hashtag iMovie. A few people learn skills directly related to our current pandemic. Hashtag using the library remotely, hashtag hiding from my feral children, and hashtag opening a produce bag without licking my fingers. What? And then there were skills that I am sure were born out of just plain boredom. Like hashtag lockpicking, hashtag alphabetizing my spice rack, and hashtag mopping. Personally, I learned that hashtag 
juggling oranges is easier than hashtag juggling my kids' school assignments. Now back to you, Nikki, for our parenting moment of Redeemer Report. Hi, Derek. I know you're doing an incredible job as you continue your child's learning from home. To help you, we've updated some children's classics during COVID. Frog and Toad together will now be called Frog and Toad Six Feet Apart. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland can now be called Alice's Adventures in the Backyard. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish has a new title as well. One Mask, Two Mask, Red Mask, Blue Mask. Oh, the places you'll go, of course, is now. Oh, the places you'll stay. And finally, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix shall now be called Harry Potter and the Order from Instacart. You're welcome, parents. Just another service that we're happy to provide. Finally, we head to the home, where else, of Kristen and Trey, a couple who's been working together from home. So we have been working here at the house since this whole thing started together, all day, together, every day, together. And frankly, it's led to some bickering. <gasps> so I thought it would be a good idea if we kind of ripped off Jimmy Fallon and wrote some thank you notes to remind us to be grateful. You wanna start? Yeah. Thank you snacks for sustaining our kids between second breakfast and elevensies like the hobbits they are thank you pajama pants for pulling all-nighters and all-dayers thank you zoom meetings for giving me ideas about home improvement projects i can do while she's looking at her co-workers houses you noise-canceling headphones so I don't have to listen to him smack yogurt. Oh yeah? Well, thank you for following behind me shutting cabinet doors so I... Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you McEwens for reminding us to be thankful. This has been our first week of the Redeemer Report. Join us again next week for more, some more good news. That's if John Krasinski doesn't sue us for copyright infringement first. Oops. Hey everybody, good morning. I'm David uh, from the Redeemer Report and I hope that you guys enjoyed that as much as we did putting it together, trying to keep it fresh, trying to keep it uh, fun. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And you know, um, there's another installment coming next week, so stay tuned for episode two of the Redeemer Report. There's another thing that I really, really appreciated this last week, and it was the opportunity to see the videos that, that you guys posted, that the Redeemer Church family posted, sharing what Jesus had changed in, in their lives, uh, in the past, in the present. Um, it, it is just so encouraging to see uh, folks opening up their hearts 
to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I give you this work and to see God work through that. And let me assure you, God is absolutely working through those stories. And if there's still a story on your heart, something where you feel the, the nudge of the spirit to, to respond, it is not too late to post, man. God can work through that and God will work through your, your story and you. Please, please, uh, please post. We'd love to see it. Thank you for those that did. All right, today is week three of our series, Jesus Changes Everything. And uh, today's message is titled, COVID-19 Reveals Our Grudges, But Jesus Can Change It to Grace. Jesus Gives Us Grace. We're going to read a passage from the book of 2 Samuel, but before we get into it, let's ready our hearts and mind in prayer as we get ready to hear God's word. Lord Jesus, we come before you today asking you to, to change us. To, to show us the things that we need to see, to hear the things that we need to hear, to have hearts soft enough to listen. Lord, um, I know you're at work. We know that you're at work in our lives, and we know you're at work in unique ways right now, and so we just give, give that to you. We, we open up, Lord. I pray that if somebody needs to do that, by the power of your Spirit, you would you would nudge them to do that right now. And Lord, change everything. You work. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. You are a rock. You are our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Today's passage is from the book of 2 Samuel. Um, and it's kind of this obscure story from the life of King David. And it's actually from the latter part of his life. And it's really interesting. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then I'll give you more context at the end. 16, uh, verses 5 through 13. As King David approached Behiram, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shammai, son of Gerah, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shammai said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zeruai, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, what, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruai? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shammai was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. All right, so King David, really important 
figure in the history of Israel. And he had some really good times in his rule and his life as king. And as many of us know, King David also had some, some really low points as king. And this may, what we read right there, may have been one of the worst. As we drop into this narrative from 2 Samuel, what's actually happening is that one of David's sons named Absalom has basically staged a coup against his father. Absalom had ambitions for his father's throne, and he was this charismatic, smart, skilled leader who uh, was able to, to kind of rally the nation around this idea that his dad was no longer fit to lead in the way that he had led in the past. And so Absalom had, had rallied up forces around him. He had gained the support of most of the nation. He had actually, at this moment, walked in to the city of Jerusalem, was headed for the palace, and he put his, his dad in this horrible lose-lose situation. Basically, David had, had a choice. He could, A, either uh, lead, defend his throne by leading his nation and those who were still going to follow him into a bloody civil war with his own son, or B, he could actually just retreat and and give up the palace and go and regroup somewhere else. And what we are reading here is that David has chosen B. That's where we drop into this story. He has lost his power. He is leaving Jerusalem. His own son, his own flesh and blood has turned on him. And, uh, and probably as, as he's thinking to himself, there is no way this could get any worse. Suddenly this guy, Shemai, shows up. <laughs> Shemai, uh, you pr- pronounce that name, Shem-I. If you want to turn to your neighbor right now and say, Shem-you, that's not how you pronounce it, Shem-I, okay? Okay, who is Shemai? Well, this is interesting. We have never seen this person in the Bible before. This is the first time he shows up in, in, the, entire, in, the, entire, in the entire narrative of Scripture. And, and when he shows up, basically he just appears to be this fellow out of nowhere who is just white, hot, mad at King David. He is, he is the angriest heckler around. Um, he comes out cursing, cussing David up and down. He comes out with hatred for King David that reminds me a little bit of the hatred that some of us might be familiar with that the, that the Tiger King had for a certain woman named Carol Baskins, right? And, um, and, and so he comes out, and he is kicking David while he's down. He's yelling. He's throwing stones in dirt. He obviously deeply hates David. And the question that we're left with is why? What, what has David done to him? Why, does he, why is he holding what appears to be a very long-standing grudge? And here's the answer. It actually comes to us in the text if we just are reading pretty closely in verse 5 first, which says this. A man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shammai. So this is the critical piece of information. Shammai was a part of Saul's family. And who's, who saw Saul? was the man who was king of Israel before David was king of Israel. David seceded Saul on Israel's throne. And very, very importantly in that story, Saul didn't want to give up the throne in Israel. 
Saul wasn't ready to give it up. He didn't want to not be king. This was a very messy transition. He tried to kill David, and when Saul finally went down, he ended up going down very, very hard, and there was blood, right? And, and what's important to remember in this tribal culture, in this uh, world of patriarchs and clans, is that when an individual leader went down, it wasn't just them that, that felt those effects. It was their entire tribe. It was their entire clan. And so the shame that Saul experienced losing the throne was the shame that his family also to some degree felt uh, to a much greater degree than we would today. They felt that as well. The, the loss of opportunity and stability and economic and financial gain and, and political power, when Saul lost all that, Shammai and his family lost all that too. And so for years... What's happened is in the loss of those things, Shammai has looked at David and harbored this deep-seated grudge. For years, he's looked at what he appears to have happened and said, David, you are a horrible usurper, a murderer, a stealer of the throne. And therefore, he has blamed David for everything bad that's happened in his life probably since. Is it true? No. If you know the biblical story, David is actually incredibly gracious and respectful of Saul during this transition, even while Saul is trying to kill him. But it doesn't matter. That's not the narrative that Shammai believes in his mind. And for years instead, he's evidently been holding on to this grudge until this day when he decides, I'm not going to stay silent anymore, right? And he goes out alone in front of David and the entire army, and he cusses him up, right? And what is insane about this is that Shammai is basically walking to his death here. He is making a really dumb decision. David's military leader says, why don't you let me, what, cut off his head and deal with this dead dog, right? And in that time, even the greatest king on a good day probably would have killed him like that. But uh, he, by God's mercy, by David's moment of softness and grace, spares his life, right? He, he should be dead, but he's alive. But the question that I want to ask is, why, why does he decide at this point to just let loose? What is the thing that happened after decades of resentment and anger for Shammai to suddenly erupt and let, let this grudge go, right? And, and I'm reading between the lines here a little because so this scripture never answers that question specifically that I'm asking. And, I, and, I, and I'm sure there are other factors involved, but here's the thing that I think is happening. I think Shammai lets loose because of the pressure of the moment in the, in the nation at that time. I, I think Israel is unstable, right? There's a, there's a, a, they're on the brink of a bloody civil war. There's transitions in a king. His life, Shammai's life, is clearly not what he wanted it to be. It could very well about to be getting very worse at this moment. And so the man cracks under pressure. He lets loose of this grudge, and, and he goes out, and he does what he does. And I think that's what tends to happen, actually, under pressure, is we tend to crack. And to explore that just a little bit further, I want to take you guys on a field trip to the back of the church. Hey, everybody. 
Here we are off-site, actually at the train tracks that are kind of behind the church at Redeemer. And we are here at one of the, the places where the road comes over the tracks in Iowa Lane. And you might imagine that in the past when this was first done, this was actually probably a decent road. It looked good. It was smooth. There weren't any big cracks in it. But uh, that's not how it looks anymore today. In fact, what's happened is that thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of vehicles have driven over this road. Incredibly large trains have gone over it, and it's really kind of deteriorated over the years. You don't want to drive up on this intersection fast. Some of you may have learned that the hard way, but the road has literally come apart. It has come apart. All the cracks that were there in, in this road, all the weaknesses in it, all of the, the impurities in the concrete with that pressure coming down over and over and over again, they get exposed. You can see where those weak parts are and that's what pressure does. It exposes things. It shows us where there's weaknesses. Pressure shows us where there's pre-existing conditions. Pressure shows us where there's things that aren't uh, smooth and, and, and it reveals all that stuff. Well, here's the analogy that I wanna make. Coronavirus does the same thing. Corona is like this giant pressure plate that comes down over all of our lives. And as we experience that pressure over time, all the things in our lives that, that were weak, all the pre-existing conditions, they don't become less, they become more. They get exposed, that they're opened up in ways due to that pressure. And so if you had uh, financial issues before coronavirus, probably you're experiencing them in a greater way now. If you had uh, some rocky places in your marriage before coronavirus, probably feels like you're on the rumble strip right now. Corona reveals things like we've been talking about. It exposed things. And one of the things that comes up to the surface right now, it's our grudges. It's the anger that we've had. It's the frustrations that we've had. It's the past things that have been underneath the surface that are suddenly now going to be exposed and come to the top. Coronavirus reveals our grudges. And now we're headed back to church so I can talk about it some more. I think what's happening is that coronavirus is like this pressure plate that comes down on our lives. And, and it kind of exposes, it reveals everything that's underneath the surface. All those pre-existing conditions that we were dealing with, right? And, um, and, and it reveals, one of the things that it reveals is our grudges. And so I, I want to ask you actually just to kind of think about that in your own life a little for a moment. Is coronavirus putting pressure and revealing stuff? As it's coming down, and is, is other stuff that's been beneath the surface coming up? And, and, and so just answer some of these questions for yourself. If you had, for instance, an unfriendly neighbor, and this neighbor uh, has a dog that barks late at night a lot, are you bothered by that dog barking Right now, in this moment, are you bothered by that dog barking more or less under the stress of coronavirus? More, right? Okay, if you have uh, a coworker who irritated you before coronavirus, 
and you didn't really enjoy an in-person meetings, is it easier or harder to be on meetings with them in Zoom, right? <laughs> All right. If you look at the news cycles, uh, are those political leanings and finger pointings that existed before, are they happening less or more in the present moment? You, you all get my point? This is, what, this is what we're seeing. Coronavirus is dropping this pressure plate, and all the things that already existed and were already there are becoming more apparent and more visible. These roots of bitterness, as the Bible calls them, like, like it describes a root that literally lives in our hearts and our bodies and, and grabs hold. Pressure is like miracle grow for a root of bitterness, right? And, and what we're seeing is that these fallen, broken, sinful parts of our nature are, are, are making us dig our heels in deeper. They're, they're making us double down. They're, they're making us more irritated, more bothered, more angry, and, and those grudges are being exposed. But here's the good news. We don't have to actually go fully down that route. We don't have to do what Shammai did. We have a better way. Jesus shows us a better way. He can change everything. And while Corona might reveal our grudges, God can lead us to grace. I want to show you that actually by moving to another biblical scene where there's a lot of pressure. You're probably familiar with this one. It's Jesus as he is dying on the cross. It is one of his last words where he says this, Luke 23, 34. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. For a long time, when I read those words of Jesus, I kind of uh, envisioned him on the cross, kind of looking over the sea of people that were there and kind of speaking these words like a like, like forgiving the people that didn't know what they were doing in that moment, forgiving us for our sins that, that, that put him there, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But I was reading a commentator this week who, who made a really astute observation that made me rethink what actually is happening in that scene. And this is, this is what he said. He said, Jesus actually isn't speaking to those people. If you read it closely, the only person he's speaking to is God. What's the word? What's the word that he begins with? Father. This is a conversation between him and God. This is a prayer. Father, forgive them, is what he says. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is Jesus. Maybe he's looking at other people, but he's only speaking here up to God. And maybe that seems like a small, and you're not sure about the relevance of that detail, but actually, as I thought about it for a while, I found it to be one of the most incredibly freeing things um, in understanding forgiveness that I've realized in a long time. And, and it tells us something critical about the process of forgiveness. It's this. Grace begins with God and not us. Grace always begins with God and not with us. Let me, let me explain why I think that's important. You know, grudges that we harbor in our hearts, they don't come from little things, 
they aren't things that we really can let go of, right? When somebody shows up late to lunch a couple times, we, we don't harbor a grudge from that. We can let go of that. When somebody makes uh, an offhanded comment on their bad day, right, we, we should be able to let go of that. We can let go of that. Those things don't lead to deep-seated grudges. Grudges come from deeper pains, more significant hurts that we've experienced in our lives, right? And, and these are things where, where there's a wound, and every time we experience something, it gets reopened, right? So we are at work, and we run into a coworker who doesn't really want to talk to us. Uh, but, and, and then we immediately remember that this coworker kind of used us as a ladder to get the promotion, and when they were done, they didn't, they didn't want to engage with us anymore. That's the kind of hurt that leads to a grudge. A grudge comes from uh, having aging parents and a sibling who never has time to help deal with the issues, or, or, or the, the, the things that need to be helped with them, right? A grudge comes from somebody who consistently and regularly talks behind our back again and again and again. Those things are deeper, right? And those are the kind of things that you can't just get over. You don't just let them go. Those are the kind of things that we end up carrying with us in our hearts, right? We, we carry those pains around with us. But here's the problem with carrying those pains. It's that if you continue to harbor unforgiveness in your heart, who, who, who continues to hurt over that? Who, who experiences the pain of, of, of that? It's you. It's you, right? When you're triggered by that comment or that image on social or that situation and that unforgiveness winds up again, you're the one that feels that. They may not even be aware of it. And, and sometimes we feel like withholding forgiveness uh, from someone, uh, like nursing those grudges is a way to kind of get back at them, but that backfires too. Because every time we do that, it's like we're, we're trying to give them poison and we're the only ones that end up drinking it, right? But, but so, so what we have to do, no matter what, no matter what's been done to us with the deepest grudge, is on some level we have to, to be able to forgive. And, and it's really not an option to not forgive if we're ever going to heal, and the Bible would actually affirm that very much. If we want grace, there's a very simple one-to-one -one connection in Scripture. We've got to give it to others. Jesus says that in multiple places, like in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, where he says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins your Father will not forgive your sins. What Jesus is saying there is that our forgiveness to others impacts the, the relationship and the forgiveness we see receive from God. If we're going to receive grace from God, we've got to be able to give grace to others. And if there is a grudge that's creating a barrier in this relationship, it's going to also create a barrier in this relationship. We've got to forgive, right? But, but here's the thing. What is forgiveness? And this is where I think so many of us hang up on, on this issue. This is where I, I think so many of us aren't sure the answer to that question. And I don't have time to do a ton of work pulling it apart here. But I think forgiveness so often is not what we assume it is. Forgiveness does not mean acting like nothing happened. 
Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness also does not mean we suddenly force ourselves to say, oh, it's okay, I'm okay, and feel differently about the person and their wrongdoing, right? Forgiveness also doesn't assume reconciliation, that there's a restoration of the relationship, that there's two parties that come together. Forgiveness is actually, uh, the only two parties are you and God. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to open yourself up to being hurt again, okay? What is forgiveness? Well, I want to offer you this definition for this conversation this morning. Forgiveness is the willful choice to not harbor the grudge. Forgiveness is the the simple choice that we make to no longer let our pain consequently lead us to anger, to no longer bleed on this same wound. Forgiveness is to simply release that, to give it up to God, which again, takes us back to Jesus on the cross and that first observation. Forgiveness begins with God and not us. Here's Jesus experiencing unimaginable pain in all sorts of ways. What is the the thing that he immediately does? He goes straight to God, straight to his heavenly Father. says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness begins with God and not us. We don't have to do anything other than release it. You don't have to muster enough strength up to forgive somebody. You don't have to do that. You you don't have to feel like I've got to start feeling a different way about somebody to forgive them. You you don't have to, to do anything but say, Lord, whatever I'm feeling, this pain that I experience I I give it to you right now. I want you to take it. I release it to you, God. And that's where forgiveness begins, right? When you get triggered and you suddenly remember what that person did or said, that's immediately when you respond. That's when the process of forgiveness can start, right? You immediately say to God, I don't want to keep being here. I don't want to keep feeling this pain. I don't want to keep being mad about this. I'm not really interested, Lord, in hating this person any longer. I don't want them and what happened there to define me in my life right here and right now. I release this to you, God. I give you the pain and the hurt and the wound. And, and, and Lord, I ask you to forgive. Father, you forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and when you do that, you're not pretending it didn't happen. You're, you're not saying, uh, God, I'm not still angry. You're not saying this isn't a big deal. What you're doing is saying, I can't deal with this on my own, and it's such a big deal, Lord. I'm giving it to you. And I think what we start to experience when we take that tiny little step with a grudge, when we immediately give it to God, is is over time that opens up space for the Spirit to work in our lives and our hearts. And over time, those wounds start to heal. And over time, God's grace starts to flow in us and through that pain. And when it flows in us, it can then flow out of us too. We're able to look past our pain and to their need, just like Jesus did on the cross. There's one other thing to keep in mind here. Remember, 
on the other side of your grudge, there's always something worth fighting for. There's always something beautiful that's within your grasp. That's on the other side of this grudge. Your bitterness, your anger, your frustration, on the other side of that with your spouse is a beautiful intimacy in your marriage that you've always longed for. On the other side of uh, your pain from the way your sibling treated you is a friendship with a brother that you long to have restored. On the other side of your grudge is freedom. And if we give it to God, if we let our forgiveness start with God, I think God can open us up to that too. Where's God needing to enter into your life? Where is that crack showing? Where's that grudge emerging? Yes, it may be visible, but let me, let me offer you this promise. What corona reveals, God can heal. I'm praying that for you guys right here and right now. Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take all these things that come up, all these pains and these hurts. Lord, I, I know that for some of us, those things are very specific and in our minds right here and right now. And so, Lord, I pray that we can, even in this moment, kind of start giving that up to you. Say, Jesus, I don't want to carry this anymore. Jesus, I don't want to be angry at this person anymore. Jesus, I want you to take this. I can't, Lord. And as we do that, would you, by your power, show us your grace? Would you start working that, that process of forgiveness and softening our heart, Lord? And, and Lord, would you free us to see the beautiful things that you offer to give us? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things.